Turn with me to John chapter 6. John chapter 6 and verse 1. God has raised up individuals over the history uh, to accomplish special tasks for him. Noah built a boat in which he saved the human race and eight souls, uh, his family. Uh, and um, Moses prayed for the children of Israel because God was going to destroy them. Moses interceded and said, Lord, if, if you're going to destroy them, block me out of your book. Otherwise, let them be saved. And so God delivered the people of Israel through Moses' intercessory prayer. But no one has ever made an impact like the impact that Jesus made. Jesus paid the price of redemption at Calvary's cross. And because of what he did in bearing our sin, we can be forgiven and have eternal life. And uh, what an amazing blessing that is. Uh, we need what only Jesus can do. And that's not just true with salvation. It's true in every facet of life. God has called us not to live what we can do, but to live beyond ourselves, to live a supernaturally empowered life through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we can only do that through the power of Christ. Uh, this scripture actually discusses some things that Jesus did that only Jesus could do. And uh, Jesus talks about these things as signs. Uh, the people were actually following Jesus and were listening to Jesus because of the signs he was doing. Some people uh, were interested in the signs themselves. Others were interested in the free food. Uh, but uh, Jesus wanted them to see the spiritual significance of the signs that he was doing. Because ultimately, Jesus didn't just come to heal the sick and raise the dead and feed a multitude. Jesus came to change human hearts. And that's what only Jesus can do. And so we need to put our trust in him to change us spiritually. If you don't know him today, you need him to change you inside, to make you a new creation in Christ. If you do know him, you need him because you cannot live the Christian life without him. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So uh, the title of my message is, Why We Need Jesus. And look with me at verse 1 of John chapter 6. After this, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. A huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was performing by healing the sick. Jesus went up a mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now, a Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. So when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip, where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't it be enough for each of them to have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There's plenty of grass in that place, so they sat down. The men numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, and after having given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also with the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were full, he told his disciples, Collect the leftovers, that nothing is wasted. 
So they collected them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces from the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign he had done, they said, This truly is the prophet who has come into the world. Therefore, Jesus, when he realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When the evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. Darkness had already set in, but Jesus had not yet come to them. A high wind arose, and the sea began to churn. After they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. He was coming near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him on board, and at once the boat was at the shore where they were heading. So why do we need Jesus? Uh, Why do we need him? Well, we need him because only Jesus can redeem the heart. Only Jesus can redeem the heart. Now, verse 4 is a historical reference. It says the Passover, a Jewish feast, was near. Uh, But it is also uh, something that is mentioned, I believe, intentionally to fit in with the point of what Jesus is trying to say. Because whenever the Jewish people would celebrate the Passover, right after that and in conjunction with that, they celebrated the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And yet here is the miracle of bread, where Jesus breaks the bread. It doesn't bake the bread. He breaks the bread and distributes it to the multitude uh, to meet the need of their hearts. The Passover was done the first time as the Israelites were coming out of Egypt. And it was a picture of the fact that they were being redeemed from Israel. Now, redemption is simply a price paid to bring somebody out of slavery or out of bondage uh, to the freedom of God. Or it is the strength used to accomplish that freedom. Both of those things are what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to pay the price for our redemption, our freedom from sin, our freedom from the enemy. The Bible says that he transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. Jesus redeemed us. He made us a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. This Jesus did through his sacrifice at the cross. That was the price that was paid. When Jesus said, it is finished at the cross, literally it's a Greek word that means paid in full. Jesus paid everything that was needed for us to come out of sin and the penalty of our sin and the power of sin and the power of the enemy to live the life that God intended us to live. But Jesus' great power also achieves our redemption. You see, it is not just the act of what Jesus did at the cross, but it is his power personally that sets people free from sin. Jesus, uh, in his great power, bore our sin debt at the cross in a moment of time. All that we deserved, as we we spoke about hell a couple of weeks ago, 
all that we deserved was poured out upon Jesus. The wrath of God, the justice of God settled at the cross. Jesus' great power. Only Jesus could have handled that. The sin of all men of all time was placed upon Jesus. And he bore the full weight of it all as the Father poured out his justice upon his Son. And in his heart, the burning wrath of God was satisfied for my sin and for yours. Jesus' great power made that possible, but his great power. Uh, the Bible says we are justified through his resurrection. Jesus rose up on the third day, and his resurrection power now lives in the hearts of those who trust him. So I have been redeemed. When I came to faith in Jesus Christ. But I am being redeemed. Because the power of Christ is in me. And Jesus Christ as he lives his life through me. He can live that life of victory that God desires for me. I can't do it. Jesus said apart from me you can do nothing. But he can do it through me. And so by his great power I have been redeemed. Listen I want to tell you something. Jesus didn't just save you from hell. Jesus saved you for a purpose. He saved you to fulfill the will and the plan of God for your life. And his power is what guarantees it and brings it to pass. The children of Israel came out of Egypt, but that wasn't the end of it. God had them go through the wilderness and ultimately in that second generation to go into the promised land. Uh, that was God's plan. God had a purpose for them to fulfill. And redemption was begun in Exodus, but it was consummated in Canaan. You see, God has a plan for your life and for mine. And he wants us to fulfill that. How, does, how do we do that? Through his powerful, redeeming work within us. We are in his hands. No one can pluck us out. And by his power and by his strength, all things are possible. Only Jesus can redeem the heart. He's the only one who can change what's in here. You say, well, I thought that uh, there's, there's secular programs, uh, AA and these other things, you know, that help people. Well, yeah, they can help people maybe get a handle on addiction to a certain degree, but they cannot change the heart. That's why you have people go back into those things a lot of times after going through a program like that. But you see, only God can change the heart. Only God can give a new heart. And only God can send the Holy Spirit to give you a divine power within to help you live a righteous life. So, why do we need Jesus? Well, because only Jesus can redeem the heart. Secondly, only Jesus can give the impossible. Look at verse 11. Jesus took the loaves, and after having given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. That word distributed is a compound word in Greek that has the root word give. You see, what they needed was impossible, humanly speaking, to do. That's why Jesus asked Philip about it. He says, look, um, Philip, uh, how are we going to feed these people? And Philip looked at I, I think he's probably got that look of like, duh, you know, on his face. He's like, if we just had th this much money, we couldn't even give them a little bit. What are you talking about, feed the people? We don't have the resources for that. Now, he didn't say that out loud, but that's what he's thinking. He just, he just kind of gives Jesus the reader's 
Digest Cadet's version of what he's thinking. But uh, Jesus did that to test him. Because, you see, it was not what Philip had the resources to do that God wanted. God wanted something impossible to be done. And we, by the way, we serve the God of the impossible, don't we? He's, he's able. Um, so Jesus has this little boy's lunch brought to him, and it's five little loaves. If you've ever tried to get your kid to eat a Happy Meal, you understand these were probably very small, uh, small little loaves. Uh, and the Greek word for fish is a diminutive. It means they were little bitty. So I think about a sardine, okay? These weren't big bass. These were sardines, okay? These were little fish. Jesus took these five loaves and these fish, and he began to break them. And more and more and more and more. And the disciples are starting to get tired, and they're saying, Hey, hey, Philip, go get some other people. <laughs> we need some help distributing all this. But um, I'm just using a little imagination there. But 5,000 men plus women and children were fed that day with the little boy's Happy Meal equivalent. Okay? That's, that's what it was. It was truly remarkable. It was impossible. Something very impossible happened to the human race. You and I sinned against God. It began in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned against God. And the Bible says, so death passed upon all men for all have sinned. And God's standard was always perfection. Jesus said, be you perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And none of us are. So we stood condemned. And, and there's nothing we could do about it. We couldn't reform ourselves or try to turn over a new leaf or uh, try to act good enough the rest of our lives, even though we couldn't, even if we tried, we couldn't in perfection. We were condemned. We were helpless. We were hopeless. We could do nothing. Apart from the shedding of blood, there is no redemption. A lot of people don't realize that. If you got here in the community and you ask, how, how are you getting to heaven? They'll tell you, well, I'm a good person, or I go to church, or I, I serve my community, or they'll give you a lot of good things. But they don't realize God's standard is perfection. It's an impossible standard. None of us can reach it. Only Jesus, the God-man, the Scripture says he was tempted in every way just as we are yet without sin. He fulfilled that. But he's the only one. And the Bible says Christ died for sin once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. That's the gospel. He had to do something impossible. God's plan of salvation was amazing. The devil didn't have it figured out. Human beings didn't have it figured out. The disciples themselves, who were under Jesus' teaching ministry for three years, didn't have it figured out. They were all surprised. Jesus knew in his heart what he was about to do. He told the disciples multiple times that the Son of Man is going to suffer and die, and uh, the, the religious leaders are going to put him to death, and on the third day he will rise. And Jesus kept repeating this, but it, it didn't get through their heads. Because it wasn't what they were experiencing. Instead, they were arguing about who was going to get to sit 
at his right hand or his left in the kingdom. But Jesus' plan was far bigger than just an earthly rule. Jesus wanted to change the hearts of people. We've talked about that. How would that happen? It could only happen through a supernatural gift. And that supernatural gift was Jesus himself. At the Last Supper, Jesus broke the bread and he gave to his disciples and he said, This is my body, which is given for you. You see, they knew all of the grain offerings, the bread offerings that the disciples would offer and that the the Israelites would offer uh, were a picture of Jesus. Did you know when the, when the Passover lamb was sacrificed, they would tie the front legs to a crossbar, and then they'd put a bar down straight so that the, the lamb was in the position of Jesus when he would be on the cross. This was before crucifixion was invented. It was meant to be a picture of Jesus. Of course, the unleavened bread, the feast of unleavened bread, leaven represented sin. They would go around their house and they would search for every breadcrumb that that they could find in their house. We've got to get this out of here. It's time to celebrate the feast of unleavened bread. But invariably, they would miss something. Because how do you find every little crumb and every little crevice? All you got to do is go home and move your stove, right? And you will see that you've missed a lot. You see, this was a picture because Jesus is the unleavened bread. He accomplished the impossible to live the perfect, righteous life that God required. And his body was broken at the cross for us as a gift. God was taking the bread of heaven and he was handing it to us in Jesus, saying, Here, take this, eat. And be saved. Only Jesus can give the impossible, which is the gift of eternal life. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, hallelujah, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Only Jesus can give the impossible. Now, it's not limited just to our salvation. He can do all kinds of impossible things. And we've seen him answer prayers in this church. But here, Jesus is picturing that impossible work of God's redemption at the cross. So why do we need Jesus? We need him because only Jesus can redeem the heart. Only Jesus can give the impossible. Thirdly, only Jesus can satisfy the empty. I love the fact that Jesus asked Philip, how are we going to feed this crowd? And, and, you know, Philip is thinking, are you kidding me? You know, uh, he said, if if we had this much money, we still couldn't give them all just a little. See, Jesus said, these are all about signs, right? This is a picture of something. You see, The scripture says in verse 12, when they were full. You see, 
Peter says, I mean, Philip says, Lord, we can only give them a little. Jesus provided to where they were fully satisfied. And they had 12 baskets left over, right? I mean, by the way, did you know 12 is the number of the people of God in Scripture? How many patriarchs were there? Sons of Jacob, 12. How many disciples and later apostles of the Lamb when Matthias replaced Judas? 12. It's the number of the people of God. How many missionaries in the book of Revelation? 144,000. 12 times 12,000. 12 is the number of the people of God in Scripture. So what is Jesus saying in his picture as he breaks this bread, miraculously giving them this bread, and they're eating. They say, boy, this is great. We're getting all we want. Let's make him king. Jesus is trying to show them something spiritual. That I can fill the lack of satisfaction in your heart. I can fill what's missing. And I can bring you full and abundant life. See, only Jesus can do that. Everything else in this world is uh, temporarily satisfying, if it is satisfying at all. And it doesn't meet the deepest need of our heart. Uh, all you have to do is look at a person who's rich and famous and find out that many of them are miserable. They don't have the peace that passes understanding. They don't have God's joy unspeakable and full of glory that Peter talks about in 1 Peter. They're empty. They've got everything money can buy. They've got all that this world says they should have. And yet something is still missing. Somehow they still feel unsatisfied. Jesus said, come to me. I'll satisfy your soul. I'll fill what's lacking. I'll fill the hole within. Jesus did that for me. He satisfied my soul. And uh, even though I've struggled at times in life since then, there's never been the emptiness that was there before. Jesus filled what I was needing spiritually. And he can do the same for you. He can satisfy the empty. There's no, there's no one else that can satisfy. No other religion that can satisfy. Only Jesus can satisfy. Why is that? Because he's the great designer. He's the great creator. He made us. He knows how we tick. He knows how we think. He designed us in our mother's womb. And he knows exactly how to satisfy our soul. Because he fashioned us and made us for relationship with him. You see, that's the purpose of man. The chief purpose of man is not to fulfill some earthly thing, even though we, what we do for God is important here. The chief purpose of man is to have fellowship and commune with a holy God. And nothing else satisfies like that satisfies in life. Jesus says, you eat all you want, you have plenty left over. As they had those 12 baskets full of leftovers, there was a vivid picture of the fact that there's not a need of the people of God that Jesus can't satisfy. He can satisfy the empty. 
Why do we need Jesus? Well, we need him because only he can redeem the heart. Only he can give the impossible. Only he can satisfy the empty. And only he can help the helpless. The miracle is over and Jesus has kind of snuck up the hill to get, get away from the crowd that wants to make him king. And uh, the disciples have gone down to get in a boat to cross the Sea of Galilee, apparently under Jesus' instruction. And uh, they're, they're in the middle of the lake, and they've gone out quite a ways into the lake, and, and a storm comes up, and here they are rowing at night in a storm. And I can imagine the... The, the weariness that set in as they've been wrestling with the storm. They've been rowing and maybe even bailing water, trying to keep afloat in the midst of this storm, and it's so difficult. And then all of a sudden, they see somebody coming across the water. Who is, is this? And, and they're afraid. And, and Jesus says, it is I. Literally, the Greek says, I am. Now, they... Yes, it could be translated, it is I, but it could also be translated, I am that I am. The, the same name of the God of the Old Testament, Jesus. By the way, some pictures of Exodus here in this, in this passage. Uh, in the Old Testament, Jesus split the sea for the Israelites to walk across. In the New Testament, Jesus just walks on top of it. Now, I was kind of trying to visualize this in my mind's eye. I don't know how this worked. I guess maybe Jesus was climbing up the waves, you know. I, how does that work when the waves are going, you know? Is Jesus going up on the waves? And how, it must have been cool, though, however it happened. And uh, it says that they wanted him to get into the boat after they realized it was Jesus. They heard his voice, and they recognized him, uh, that it was him. And first, verse 21 says, Then they were willing to take him on board, and at once... The boat was at the shore where they were heading. I love the way that, that people try to explain away the miracles of God. And somebody said, well, yeah, they were, they were uh, right near the shore, and so they wanted to take Jesus in the boat, but they were already there. Wrong. <laughs> if that's the case, why were they wanting him to get in the boat? Right? I mean, if I'm almost at the shore and I know Jesus is going to beat me there, I'm not going to invite him into the boat. This is a miracle. They're in the middle of the water, and they receive Jesus into the boat, and immediately they are at the destination where they need to go. I, by the way, if it was just, just landing on the shore, oh yeah, we're at the shore, okay, Jesus, you don't need to get in. Why would you say immediately they were on the shore? Why would you just say they got there and it was too late for Jesus to get in the boat? Why would you say immediately they were there? He, he's trying to make a point. And the point is this. Jesus got in their boat and boom, they were there. Now that would have been cool. You think a roller coaster's fun? <laughs> get in the boat when Jesus is in the boat and you're there. Boom. What was the point of this? The disciples were helpless to fight the storm. 
All their work couldn't accomplish anything. They couldn't get to the other side. Jesus steps in, and they're there. I want to tell you something. Jesus, when you put your trust in him, and you repent of your sin, Jesus, at that point, gives you the gift of eternal life. You're there. It's settled in heaven. You don't have to try to row your way through life trying to fight against all of this stuff to get to heaven. Now, God does want us to live a godly life, but we do that in worship of Him and in His power. Uh, it's not to get us to heaven. The moment you trust Jesus, you have eternal life. And the Bible says, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So he's not just talking about the future rapture to heaven or something like that. He's talking about at that moment you trust Christ. When you, put your, when you repent or make a choice to turn from your sin to trust Christ and follow Christ, and you receive that gift of eternal life, at that moment you have a relationship with him. Right? Eternal life has begun. He has eternal life. It's there. It's given as a gift. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Boom, you're there. <laughs> Isn't that great? Praise God, I don't have to trust in myself to get myself to heaven. I just need to put all my trust in Jesus and receive the gift that he's given me, that he purchased at the cross for me so that I can get there. You know, just invite Jesus into your boat, into your life. And he'll give you the gift of eternal life. Only Jesus can help the helpless. You need to recognize that you're helpless. Some people say, well, I'm a, I'm a good person. You don't understand. I'm a, I'm a good person. No, you're not. You think you're a good person. Maybe. <laughs> if you're being honest. But listen, none of us are good. The Bible says the heart of man is desperately wicked. Who can know it? God doesn't just look at what you do. God look at, looks at what you fail to do. He looks at the words you say and hate. He looks at the attitudes that you have. The Bible says he searches hearts and minds. You may look good to other people, but you don't look good to God. He sees everything. He sees all the motives. He sees everything about your life. It's laid open like an open book. In Hebrews, he says that the word of God is like a like a, it is living and active like a two-edged sword. And it was a picture of a sacrifice laid open. It lays open our hearts and, lays, and reveals to us who we are. God sees us just like that sacrificial animal that's opened up. He sees every facet of who we are. And he's not fooled by some outward act of righteousness. By the way, one of the greatest sins is pride. Many people who believe they're good people, they're very prideful people. They won't bow the knee to Jesus because that would mean admitting that they are sinful. But you've got to bow your knee at the foot of the cross. The Bible says, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. And the wrath of God remains on him. 
Only Jesus can help the helpless. And you and I are all helpless. We're all helpless to get to heaven on our own. We don't have what it takes. If you're perfect, I won't ask you to lift your hand because then somebody would lie. But uh, <laughs> we're, all, we're all sinners. His standards perfection. We're helpless to get to heaven on our own. But when we invite Jesus in, he gets us where we need to go. I love this. Uh, what does Jesus say in verse 19? He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. When you put your trust in Jesus, you don't have to live a life of fear. Somebody once said, eternal life is not life until you mess up. It's eternal. Praise God, my sins, past, present, future, are under the blood. There's no fear at the, at the cross because Jesus has paid it all. There's no wrath because Jesus has taken it upon himself. There's no justice to be carried out because it's already been carried out upon my Savior. I've been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He's taken the filthy rags of my sin off my shoulders and given me a beautiful garment of white. I'm accepted. The veil has been torn and I've been invited in. And so have you if you've trusted him. We need Jesus because only Jesus can help the helpless. Why do we need Jesus? We need him because only Jesus can redeem the heart. Only Jesus can give the impossible. Only Jesus can satisfy the empty. And only Jesus can help the helpless. Have you put your trust in him? What does the Bible ask us to do? We make a choice to repent. Or to repent is to choose to turn from our sin in our own way to follow Christ. And to receive that gift of eternal life. It's a, it's a step of trust that we take. Lord Jesus, I choose to follow you. I receive the gift of eternal life. I trust you to give it as you've promised. That's your heart this morning. I'm going to invite you as I begin to pray here in a moment to, to call out to God in your, in, your, in your heart, with your lips, uh, and ask God to save your soul and put your trust in Jesus. Uh, we're going to give you an opportunity here in a moment to come down and to make a, a public um, confession of your faith in Jesus and share with people what you've done. Uh, if there's somebody here who needs some help with that, if you'd like me to help you with, with a prayer, I'd be delighted to do that. Um, and I want to know, if you trust Christ, please let me know so we can help you with some next steps and so forth. And if you're here today and you know Jesus, let me ask you, have you been trusting him? You see, the Christian life is not about what you can do. It's about what he can do. And if you'll put your trust in him and you'll ask him, Lord, teach me how to walk in the fullness of the Spirit. Uh, fill me, empower me, give me the power of Christ and help me to live in that power of Christ. If that's your prayer today, uh, then, then Jesus will help you in your Christian life. He'll do it. Um, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. 
Lord, help us respond to you in the ways that you desire us to respond to you today. If, in, if there's somebody here today that doesn't know Jesus Christ, I pray today would be the day that they would say, Lord Jesus, I can't save myself, but I choose today to turn from my sin in my own way to follow you. I receive the gift of eternal life, and I trust you to give it as you promised. And Lord, if there's somebody here today that is, as a Christian, hasn't been trusting you and hasn't been serving you, hasn't been sharing Christ, then I pray that they would choose to do so today. Uh, Father, uh, any...